The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil! You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, grab your happiest thought, and we're going to fly away to Neverland again! Which I can really use the trip. It's been a very long and very, very busy week. <laughs> so how about you? We got, of course, Lost Boy Eric with us. Oh, and my arms are tired. Yeah, uh-oh. Are you running out of pixie dust again? No, no, no. It's just, it's a bit of a trip. Well, yeah, it's, it's very, very, very trippy. Well, of course, one of the reasons I was so tired this week is Planet Comic Con last weekend, three days of that, it was... It was almost more fun than I can handle, but it's also like a working holiday sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I was everywhere. You were neighboring. We're at the booth most of the time. I'm glad you two got a chance to leave the booth every once in a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, in fact, I got to get around. Uh, I got to talk with some of the same people that you did. I went up and gave a fist bump to Jim Cummings and uh, talked to both with Maurice LaMarche and Rob Paulson. So uh, it was a good time. Very good time. Yeah, I I was trying to get things set up and arranged to uh, have at least uh, Jim Cummings on the show, maybe Rob Paulson and Jess Arnell, and I've given my cards to them all. I didn't get a chance to directly interact with Jim Cummings, but I did with the thinkywaltdisney.org group. I got the contact information for his agent, so I'm going to send some email, and you know, he this guy represents both Jess Harnell and Jim Cummings and some of the other guys. Oh, great. So I'm going to see what we can arrange to have some of them come on the show and talk about all the different Disney work they've done, and of course, outside Disney. So we'll look at that in the future. It's going to take a little bit of work, and, and uh, right now I'm, of course, you know, pretty busy with school stuff right now. <laughs> it's taking up all my time. Well, you know, perhaps we can just get dangerous. Yes, we'll get dangerous and dangerously busy. Uh, I even just finally got a chance to post a video from Planet Comic Con uh, of, of the uh, Saber Guild 
which uh, I had this listed for later, but we can discuss Sabergill here real quick now. But Sabergill, uh, and I think it, this Netflix documentary that was about Star Wars fans, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but you've probably seen this, right? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, being able to get out and uh, practice and uh, learn how to, well, use a lightsaber. Yeah, and they don't like spar with lightsabers and stuff like that. They actually are doing choreographed battles mm-hmm. uh, to make it more like the, the films were. So and it's very, very cool. Uh, and they were, there's group, the, the fan film showed the group, I think, in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's slowly growing. These are fully Lucasfilm registered type of things, kind of like the 501st. Right. And they finally got a branch here in Kansas City, the Yavin Temple. And I was able to talk to, uh, I believe his name was Noah. And if you want to hear this interview, go to our YouTube channel. I, uh, I've edited it a bit, and I've added in, of course, some B-roll, and you get a little bit of their demonstration, which eventually I will post the entire demonstration performance that they did. Uh, they're kind of a smaller group, so they haven't gotten to do a whole lot of performance yet. So this was their first time performing oh, here wow. at Planet Comic Con. And so it was a lot of fun. And I am going to join. Now, the, the thing is, I, I can go for free and they will lo- loan me a lightsaber to train with and learn. But in order to become a full member and be able to vote on things and perform, I'm going to have to go and get myself officially costumed, which could be anywhere from 200 to 300 dollars. So I'm going to make small investments, I think. Uh, and slowly work my way up. It may take me a while, but I will eventually go ahead and be able to perform with them. It'll be fine. But I may even, uh, uh, I have to, for cinematography, we have to make a music video. And mm-hmm. we might use some music that one of my uh, my fellow students uh, does, like dance music and stuff that he completely writes on his own. And I, he wants to do maybe a video for one of his songs. And he's got a little bit of a story idea. But I just had the wild thought this morning that it would be fun to maybe, it wouldn't be like a fan film, but maybe coordinate with the, our, our local Saber Guild and see if we have like a lightsaber battle we could do somewhere in the middle of the song. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun, you know, it's a little silly, but I, I thought it'd be fun. So uh, we're, you know, we got a while to work on that, but I've just had that in my head. It's like, oh, that'd be really cool just to film a lightsaber battle, you know, and don't have to worry about sound effects. We're just, it's a dancing music video. So all you should hear is the music, like, boop, 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 or whatever the tune is. So how cool would it be if we, to even somehow know there's a rhythm of the music had them choreographed you know that'd be really Mm kind of cool so I've had weird and wild crazy ideas in my head (laughs) Mm -hmm. so uh, clearly we are going to talk a little bit about some Planet Comic Con I have some audio to share from various conversations like with Hacksaw Jim Duggan which I didn't even know he was going to be there until I saw his booth Mm-hmm. I got to interview him. Of course, it's, we got cut a little short because he had some people come up to the table. And so I like talked to him about three minutes, but uh, we will share that. I also have some audio of a conversation with this group, Saturday Morning Incorporated or Inc. That they have a Facebook page up, but they actually collect and sell animation cells. You know, like the, well, or are they gels? Cells. Uh, yes, but they collect all of these and they sell them. And I figured, you know what? You might be interested in that, y'all, you listening out there. I know Tim Nidell would love that. And I think I did invite him to like their page because I know he collects that sort of thing. I would probably like to collect some of it too if I thought I could afford it. And I, I didn't have any cash on me. Otherwise, I'd probably have bought a He Man and Masters in the Universe. They had quite a few of them. So. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, so we're definitely going to share some of that. And then we've also got some very special audio from a panel for the Dark Knight Metal comic book series, which I guess is a big DC event. I know we're going outside Disney oh, yeah. again. Uh, but this is like three particular writers. I uh, One of them I think I was familiar with his name. I, I think I've seen it as the artist that worked out. I was familiar mm-hmm. with him. Yeah, that's uh, Greg Capullo, who's probably best known for uh, uh, his work with Todd McFarlane on Spawn. But uh, Greg Capullo uh, is the artist. Uh, the writer is Scott Snyder. He's basically been the guy in charge of Batman ever since the new 52 a few years ago. Um, and you know, we'll get into it uh, as, as we talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, uh, they, their inker, uh, Jonathan Glapion, was also there as well. So, uh, you know, pretty uh, heavy hit. Getting uh, power people right now. Uh, this is really the big thing going on in comics right now with Dark Knight's Metal. Yeah, I guess this has been a big crossover event, and it was it was a pretty well attended panel. You get a lot of good insights into the industry of comics. Uh, plus, I think Greg Capullo. I think he might have worked on some Spider Man. I think somebody mentioned one, but let me. I'm gonna I'm gonna research that real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, especially working with Tom McFarlane, because Tom McFarlane uh, really did change the way we viewed Spider Man and how he was drawn. He made him more uh, creepy, spider like, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting mm-hmm. back to that, which uh, I actually watched a very interesting YouTube video on Spider Man, where if you look at Steve Ditko, uh, he had done all these mystery and horror comics before the big blow up of, oh no, we can't do that anymore. We have a comics code. But Steve mm-hmm. Ditko, if you look at his drawings of how he would draw monsters with creepy, weird, elongated arms, and you look at some of his early drawings of Spider-Man, you have some of those same weird monster uh, type of things going on with his drawings with weird kind of looking almost misshapen when he's addressed full Spider-Man. So it's interesting to think that, you know, you really could have thought of him as kind of a weird early monster type of character. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, definitely. So definitely Tom McFarlane bringing it back to that dark, creepy style of drawing and showing that flexibility. Um, but let me see here. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Due to the success of Small Ones comic series when it ended, Capullo began to work for Marvel Comics, where he worked on Quasar, X-Force, and What If. He worked with Marvel Comics for three years on various works before moving on to other publications and projects with different companies. So we do have, the yes, a guy who's worked on Marvel, not Spider-Man, I guess. Uh, but what if, maybe that's why I've heard of him before, because I've got a what if the Punisher yeah, became Captain America. So, yeah, so, you know, there's still a Disney tie-in, okay? So we're, we're going we're gonna to play this audio, and I, if you're a comic book fan, I think you're going to enjoy it. If you're not a comic book fan, I think you might still enjoy it, because everybody likes Batman, right? Oh, yeah. So, so trust us, it'll be some good audio, but to keep all of our Disney friends happy, uh, we do have some news from around the world of Disney parks. This is Gary Gnu, and the No Gnu's is Good Gnu's Show, the only TV Gnu's program guaranteed to contain no Gnu's whatsoever. Neverland News from the Disney Parks. All right, and what bigger news could there be? But, you know, we, we've known about the Toy Story Land opening this summer. And, uh, like, there's Pixar Place going on over there in Disney's California Adventure. Pixar Pier. Pixar Pier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What, what Pixar Place is a thing, though? Why am I thinking of Pixar Place? I think that was the name of the courtyard there um, where uh, Midway Mania is in Hollywood Studios. Oh, yes. Well, uh, it seems the rest of the world's going to get into the act. 
Shanghai, oh, yeah. Shanghai Disney, there's going to be the Disney Pixar Toy Story Land is going to debut actually in just a few weeks, April 26th. It's going to have three attractions inspired by Toy Story characters. There's going to be a slinky dog chasing its tail around a giant dog dish. I got to see this. Although it looks like the there's a, a photo of one of those kind of roller coaster-ish things, but it looks like it's RC where it looks mm-hmm. like it goes backwards and back and forth. Uh, and Rex is out there holding controller in this picture here. Uh, and that's uh, you're going to go around a whirlwind adventure with Slinky Dog Spin, I guess, is what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Rex that Racers. Is, hmm? Yep, that's Rex's Racers. Rex's is Racers. Out there. Rex is controlling, and you're going to be going back and forward in this race car going up higher and higher. And then finally, Bullseye is going to be pulling you in a dance choreograph to Western music. Uh, I bet that'll be similar to uh, what goes on there in Cars Land. Yeah, I believe so. Very similar to uh, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I thought there was going to be something going on there in Paris. Because they're talking about around the world, but it's just a Shanghai. But uh, give us a refresher, though, about what's happening at the Disneyland Resort, because that's more your territory. Well, Pixar Fest is going to begin on April 13th. It's a celebration of friendship and uh, beyond throughout the entire Disneyland Resort. Now, what it's going to do is it's going to debut a new Together Forever Nighttime Spectacular, uh, the return of Paint the Night, and the Pixar Play Parade, as well as even more Pixar characters, new decor, atmosphere, and entertainment, uh, as well as themed food, beverages, new merchandise items. You know, far be it from Disney to take advantage of an opportunity to to make some money. Yeah, now, considering you've got a sequel coming out that everybody's looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. That sequel is The Incredibles. Um, all, but uh, one of the things that they're going to be doing is during this Pixar Fest, they're going to have whimsical neighborhoods set up, which will have your friends from The Incredibles, from Inside Out, uh, even more uh, pals from Toy Story than who are normally out. The centerpiece of Pixar Pier is going to be The Incredicoaster. It's a combination of character figures, lighting and special effects that bring the Parr family racing alongside you as they go to uh, catch baby Jack-Jack. And they're basically converting uh, California Screamin', the large, big roller coaster that's there in California, into the Incredicoaster to do this. Which would be awesome. That'd be fine. Oh, yeah. It'll be a nice, uh, big change. Uh, That coaster has seen a few little teeny tiny revisions over the years. The biggest one is probably adding Neil Patrick Harris as uh, the person who's sending you off on the ride to begin with. Um, But for a ride that's now, oh, golly, 17 years old, this will be a pretty interesting change to what has been there before. Yeah, and I still have never gotten to ride it, but I, I will fix that one of these days, as long as they don't keep raising prices. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Yeah, uh, but I actually just saw something while we were sitting here. I had no idea that Disney's Animal Kingdom is about to have its 20th anniversary. I know, that is crazy. And they're doing a party for the planet from April 22nd through May 5th. So this is really cool. So it's going to be focused around Rafiki's Planet Watch. And mm-hmm. there are going to be some backstage experiences. So you get to learn about the animal nutrition, veterinary hospital, and learn how Disney, of course, promotes global wildlife conservation. Very good idea. Uh, there's going to be six different Tiffin's Talks, which are themed dinners that are going to be hosted by animal experts at the Tiffin's Full Service Restaurant, which is basically you're going to want to learn about some of the residents there, the animals in the park. That's where you're going to go. But, of course... Uh, it's Disney, so there's limited edition merchandise. <laughs> right, right. And one of them, a special edition print created by renowned Walt Disney Imagineer Joe Rody. 
Oh, wow. Which he's going to sign friends from on April 22nd from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Discovery Trading Company. Hmm. So quantities are limited. Dude. <laughs> Just don't ask him about his earring. Uh, yeah, although everybody's probably like staring at it like, how does that not hurt? <laughs> kind of like in Black Panther, that dude that had the thing in his lip. I couldn't help but wow. stare at it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for those of you that have seen Black Panther, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. We're going to review that in this episode, by the way. But uh, OK, yeah, so definitely. some other quick things, though. April 22nd is going to there's going to be the brand new up great bird watching adventure with Russell and Doug. That's when that's mm-hmm. going to debut. Uh, I figure Exactly. It's going to be very similar. You're going to have exotic birds, but now with characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, this is where the Dinotastic celebration with Donald Duck and all of his friends is going to premiere Memorial, Memorial Day weekend over there in Dinoland, USA. And this is Donald Duck's discovery that his bird ancestors were actually dinosaurs, if you believe that sort of thing. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try to leave that without comment, but yeah, that's, yeah, okay. Anyways, but also Memorial Day commemorates the one-year anniversary of Pandora. So, of course, they're going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, I don't think that the excitement over that section of the park has really died down at all. So them, you know, throwing a party for one year, uh, they're just going to make it huge again, especially for people oh, yeah. who, who do love that park and consider it more than a half-day park. Uh, this mm-hmm. is big. Oh, yeah. Well, and this these aren't the only Pixar things that are going on at Disney World, to, to say the least. Uh, Toy Story Land is going to be uh, opening up at Hollywood Studios this summer as well. Of course, uh, you're going to be able to shrink to the size of a toy and join Woody, Jesse, Buzz, and the other toys having fun in Andy's backyard. Uh, they're going to have the Slinky Dog Dash there as well, just like we were talking about in Shanghai. Uh, you'll also be able to take a spin on the Alien Swirling Saucers. Now, Okay, there's uh, something I didn't know about. What is that? Uh, I, I imagine that that's also going to be a lot like uh, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, where you're spinning around and from side to side, and you have music and uh, a bit of enjoyment going around with that. Oh, see, I thought we'd covered all the old Disney World stuff and we already knew about it, but the case mm-hmm. now I didn't know about. Yeah, I, I think we may have talked about it, but I don't think we've had too much information. Yeah, because I knew Toy Story Land was opening, but yeah, I didn't know about mm-hmm. it. Oh, I guess we did mention this is the little green men aliens. And I think yeah. we did mention that they were going to get something, but I don't think we knew what it was. Hmm. And it would so, make yeah. sense. This would be like a counter to Cars Land. So they would do with some similar rides. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as I'm looking at the artwork here, it is it is Major's Junkyard Jamboree, only with uh, <laughs> little green aliens. Well, so they're pulling you around in their spaceships. Now I wonder if they've got something to, to dance around like um, uh, Luigi's uh, Dancing well, Cars. I, I'm sure that they'll have some music set up specifically for that. I don't know what Toy Story characters you would use for something like that. Oh, you know what? Do something with Buzz Lightyear that's kind of weird to have like the, the with his Spanish mode. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> or you know, there's there's uh, there's some uh, music playing toys. Uh, you know, the the thing that's coming to me directly though is um, uh, the the short with Rex in the bathtub. Oh, the party source. Yeah, Partysaurus. That would be but, fun. Uh, yeah, but e- even with these, this isn't all the all of the Pixar that's coming to the parks because over at the France Pavilion in Epcot, they're building a Ratatouille ride uh, to match mm-hmm. the one that's uh, already in Disneyland Paris, where you shrink down to the size of Remy, join him on a crazy race through the uh, kitchen and restaurant at Cousteau's. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of nice things about that, so that should be fun. 
Mm-hmm. I really don't know a whole lot about it, but everybody that I've heard about the writing it says it was great fun. So I'm pretty excited oh, that's yeah. coming into France. So uh, this, okay, this was very small. I because this was interesting. I mean, it came from the Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. and I've seen a couple other places. So I would I would consider that to be a credible source. But it seems like they're very vague on any information about this. And it even says in the Hollywood Reporter that Disney has declined to comment whatsoever. But so I'm calling this a bit of a rumor that may have some backing to it. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. But some sort of a Muppets. They're, they're saying reboot, but I'm at least a Muppets show of some sort is heading for the Disney streaming service. Now, mm-hmm. I, of course, you know, they did have a failed ABC series, and I think some people jumped right into, oh, they're going to reboot that and try that again. Uh, but maybe this will be something else that will be a Muppet style program i think they need to go back to their variety show format i think that would work well for them Uh, Mm -hmm. but we we don't really know anything other than we will most likely get some sort of muppet programming on the disney streaming service Mm -hmm. well you know my favorite episodes of the muppets uh tv series was you know with them just acting like the muppets like uh, singing karaoke with ed helms yes or singing the rainbow connection or beatboxing out the muppet show thing (laughs) yeah Towards the end of the season, it started to finally found its steam and actually be the Muppets again. And right. unfortunately, they'd already lost most of the audience before then because they, they came back from their winter break or whatever and really had found, like, you know what? These are the Muppets. We got to remember this is the Muppets. And it got so much better. And I was like, hey, they got good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season now. And then got the boot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, but I'm just glad to see that, you know, there is still some discussion going on about what Disney can do with the Muppets. They're uh, continuing their their live shows like the one that they had at the Hollywood Bowl this last year. I know yeah. that they just announced one in London. Um, so, you know, it they're still out there. Hopefully we can see some uh, some new content and new material aside from uh, just the Muppet Babies. Of course, you know what I would really like from the Muppets? What's that? Four and five while we're alive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but maybe those will be on the streaming service. That's 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 my hope is that, you know, they need content for the streaming service. Let's go to that TV library. Yes, because I never watched the Muppets tonight. I would love to sit and watch that. The Jim mm-hmm. Henson uh, memorial show I've never gotten yep. to see. Although I think that's the on YouTube. Storyteller. Yes. Oh, because if they have ownership of the storytelling, that's a, there's a difference between Jim Henson Productions and the Muppets, and Disney right. owns the Muppets, but not Jim Henson Productions. So, and and the you know the storyteller uh, Jim Henson. Oh, what was the name of the show itself? Um, but it was a combination of both Muppets and Jim Henson Productions, and you know some pretty spectacular storytelling yeah. going on with there. So. Uh, unfortunately, we are losing a little bit of storytelling in Disneyland. Yeah, something's going to be uh, changed around. Now, I'm not familiar with what, I mean, this was some sort of an Aladdin thing before? Yeah, yeah. Basically, well, I'm going to go even further back uh, and take you into the history of Disneyland. Back in the 1960s, <laughs> as tiki culture was sweeping across Southern California, Disneyland opened the Tahitian Terrace. This was a Polynesian-themed uh, restaurant where they had performances uh, with fire eaters and hula girls and dancers. Um 
And it was just a fantastic and fun show. Unfortunately, uh, in the mid-80s, it got played out. Not many people were attending. And uh, the Tahitian Terrace had closed down for a short time. Uh, It eventually reopened as Aladdin's Oasis, which still had a stage show based around the movie Aladdin with a full-scale Cave of Wonders with the tiger head. Oh, cool. And so it looked really spectacular. I never got to attend a show there, and the shows lasted maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, during uh, when uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, um, they actually used that as kind of a little show area where they had an Indiana Jones show mm-hmm. going on. But uh, for the most part, Aladdin's Oasis has really served as a character meet and greet location. Uh, we've been able to see Aladdin, the genie, Jasmine all inside of there. Uh, just outside is where they've been doing Moana meet and greets. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's a fairly underutilized space in Disneyland. And well, with uh, property being at a premium there, you know, maybe it's time to go back and take a look at that original Tahitian Terrace concept, which they have done. Um, it's going to be transfer- transformed. Ew, I can't speak today. It's going to be transformed into the tropical hideaway. Um, it's uh, going to be nestled on the shores between the Jungle Cruise and the Enchanted Tiki Room. And it's a basically the story is it's going to be a popular rest stop for Adventureland local and wary explorers alike. Uh, You're going to be able to rub elbows with skippers in uh, Trader's Market, which will have all the sights, sounds, and flavors of the tropics. So uh, looking at it, it... I don't know that they're necessarily going to have a show, but one of the most exciting elements that I found out about this is that it's going to have the Barker bird from the Tiki Room. This was a bird that stood outside of the Tiki Room to try and get people to come in and see this, uh, you know, new attraction that Walt Disney had created. You know, of course, at the time, nobody knew what an audio animatronic was. And as you were walking past the Tiki Room, you'd look up, you'd see this bird, which is talking to you and trying to get you to come in and... uh, Check out the air conditioning. Amigos, amigos down there. It is me up here. Amigos, Romans, and Disneylanders. Stop walking while I'm squawking. Caramba, we have something really big for you today. It is the world premiere of Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. It is Disney entertainment at its most exciting best kind. You wait for the show right here below me in the Magic Garden where the gods and goddesses perform. Get your tickets right over here for Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. This has been a recording. So, um, really exciting. Um, the the art that they've got here it looks like it's probably going to be um, kind of a sit down uh, or, or a buffet style restaurant where you uh, pick up items and food and then go down uh, to sit at a table. So I don't think that there's going to be much uh, of a show that's going on. But where they ta- say that you'll be rubbing elbows with your favorite skippers, it sounds like they're going to be expanding their concept of um, a lived-in world. So yeah. uh, your servers may be skippers. They may be wandering performers coming out to uh, talk to you, see how you're doing, uh, find out uh, if you got lost in the jungle. It's going to be an interesting uh, concept. Uh, I, I see this being very similar in tone to um, 
the oh i can't remember the name of the place that just opened in disney world but uh, like trader sounds yeah at uh, the disneyland hotel kind of a fun kitschy uh tropical hideaway really yeah, and I, I could see them actually having some of the Jumbo Cruise skippers. Like, you know, maybe they could change their shift around. Like, all right, you're going to spend a little time, you know, doing your cruise thing. But now you get to spend a little time off of the boat. So that way, if you have to go to a restroom, you can get to a restroom. But you just go and get to maybe sit around and mingle and actually talk to people. Because uh, exactly. people may have a favorite skipper that they enjoy riding on there. So it'd be nice to go. It's like, hey, when's your next shift on the Jumbo Cruise so I can try to get on the boat with you? Because... I, I know there's been people that have been favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think there might be a legit, you know, rubbing elbows with your favorite skipper could be a real deal thing to just assign them like, you're going to work the boat in the morning and then in the afternoon we'll go and have you over here and they may be working as servers or something, but uh, it would be very, very cool. Or they may have yeah. character skippers, but I have a feeling they're actually going to be some legitimate skippers because uh, I think people do like the skippers on the Jumbo Cruise and they get favorites. Oh, they do. They so, do. They, they definitely do. So I think this could be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'd like to visit the trailer park, but I don't know that I saw any new trailers this week. Did you? Um, I was trying to think if I saw anything new. I mean, other than there was a great Han Solo trailer that somebody mm-hmm. put uh, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys on top oh, of yes. it. Yes. Which I'm not going to play the audio because all <laughs> you would hear is Sabotage. And I would get right. in trouble. Uh, so, but for the trailer park, all I want to tell you is go look it up online. We put a link of it on our Facebook page. And by the way, have you liked our Facebook page or joined our Facebook group? Because that's where you can find all this type of thing. When we find these things, and we love to share them with you. And, and this was actually really cool. And I think it helped give the perspective that this is kind of a heist movie. And that just it fits so perfectly with what I'm expecting out of this film. Uh, I'm I'm even more excited. That really it's been a turn to my butter for me. It actually mm-hmm. fit better with this than it did with Star Trek. Uh, that was Star Trek film that used sabotage. Oh yes, <laughs> but they actually did use it in the film, so I guess they justified having that in a Star Trek trailer. <laughs> well, I, I also do want to mention that when I went to go see Black Panther this week, uh, we caught the 3D viewing. And so beforehand, there only had one 3D trailer playing, which was on Solo. Oh, was it different than what we're used to? No, it was the same one, but it looked so good in 3D. (laughs) Of course it did. (laughs) I may have to go see that one in 3D just because I haven't seen a Star Wars movie in 3D yet. That would be cool. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, But you mentioned that uh, you saw Black Panther this week. I saw Black Panther this week. I think it's time for a movie review! There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Be a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me! Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time! Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantastic. Oh, wait. Yeah. Save I, that for Kermit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, take two, we get to hear it twice, the Eric version. So, all right, I, I got to say, when I walked into this, because of the Rotten Tomato stuff, and we've been covering this, you know, it's a oh, it's the highest rated Marvel movie ever by the critics is 100%. And, oh, what a great cultural significance. And I'm sitting there going, um, 
What about Blade? Did we forget about that? We've had some black superheroes before. Meteor Man, I liked it. I think Meteor Man was kind of fun. But we've had black superheroes, and we've had black people doing big blockbuster movies. Eddie Murphy has done a lot of blockbuster movies, including Beverly Hills Cop. So I didn't understand why people thought this was a big thing. To me, this was a Marvel movie. And it's a great Marvel movie. It's a great character that we haven't gotten to see in a big movie, other than Civil War getting a bit, but giving a movie of its own. That is awesome. But I wondered, and I saw other people comment this too, if the critics were in this climate afraid to criticize a movie that is, quote unquote, so culturally, you know, resonating right now, you know, or, or like a big moment in history. It's not a moment in history. It's a Marvel film. But the way they treated it, I thought I was going into the Lord of the Rings. I expected when I walked out of there, I was going to be so psyched up. I wasn't. But that's not to say I didn't enjoy the movie. This is a good movie. Did you kind yes. of have that that thought going in with you all know, the hype? I, I, I've seen the hype and I've uh, seen the movies. And, you know, personally, while this is pretty high on my own personal Marvel favorites list, uh, my favorite is still going to be Captain uh, America, the uh, the first Avenger. Yes. Uh, it was a, that, that, that's a, a really good uh, origin movie. And, and this in many ways is an origin movie as well for black yeah. Panther. Um, and, and I'll tell you visually and story-wise, this was a pretty spectacular movie. Um, I don't understand how, you know, it's higher than others uh, as far as the Rotten Tomatoes rating goes. But, you know, I still enjoyed it. I really, really liked it. And I'd like to see more of Wakanda. And we know we're going to be getting more of it Mm -hmm. uh, coming up in uh, Infinity War. Um, But I think it's great. We're we're seeing a technologically advanced society. We're seeing his sister, uh, Suri, who um, is... a genius in a different way from Tony Stark and, you know, visually um, the way that they approach technology is so different from what we've seen from Stark technologies. Oh, Tony and her are going to get along like gangbusters when they meet, (laughs) which I expect (laughs) to happen. I want to be careful about spoilers. Uh, before I get into, I do have some of my, my, I do have some criticisms. I didn't quite put these in order because I figure, all right, if the critics aren't going to point out some problems because they treat it like it's a perfect movie, it's not a perfect movie. But I do want to talk about some things that I noticed was interesting and some of the things that helped resonate with me that I did enjoy. Uh, in some fashions, this movie is the Lion King. You've got the relative who's you know, kind of usurped the throne kind of going on at one point. You've got, you know, you know, an, an uncle who's a bad uncle, and you've got the rise to be king, uh, the you know, very much, um, you even have a Mufasa Simba moment in a ghost world, you know, it was very Lion King, and you even have a Rafiki character with Forrest Whitaker, which I, I forgot he was going to be in this. He, oh, it was so good to see him. Oh, he was oh, so and, great. And I, I loved his character. Yes, I loved his character. I'm not going to say anything more about his character because I don't want to spoil anything. But oh, he was he's always so great. So it's just like oh. Forrest Whitaker. And he's basically Rafiki. <laughs> <laughs> But, but then, you know, I, I I liked him in this a lot better than as Saw Gerrera. Oh, I liked him as Saw Gerrera too. Just I, I liked him too as Saw Gerrera. I just like I like this uh, his character here much better. Yeah, <laughs> yep, me too. Uh, and then what's cool is it turned into a James Bond movie because you had mm-hmm. him getting all these gadgets from his sister and then going to Korea to go and hunt down this international bad guy. I'm like, oh, it's James Bond, but it's cool. Oh, mm-hmm. oh I was I was kind of geeking out a little bit. Well, I've got two words for you. War rhinoceroses. Yes! Oh, that was so cool. 
I love that how how they were able to incorporate the animals there into into battles and to give them armor and you know I I I, I don't think I'm really spoiling anything there by yeah. saying that they set it up pretty early but yeah, you know so. it, it, it's amazing how um, you know culturally there's a lot of uh, overall African culture that informs this movie mm-hmm. uh, and another thing that I really liked is how it brought in uh, the plight of minorities around the world mm-hmm. and you know how 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 do we as a people uh, work together to overcome our differences and our difficulties? And that really is the central theme of this Mm -hmm. movie is, you know, what, what action are we going to take and, you know, how do we go about doing it and how do we do so? You know, is it, do we need to fight and how do we fight? Maybe that's the question. How do we fight? Yeah. It was a very big theme that they, and I liked that they didn't have to come out and say it during the main film, that it really Mm -hmm. shows the action of somebody who is, let the, the the mistakes of the past influence everything he does to where he has got so much hate and anger that it leads him down a very dark and destructive path. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the way it pointed that out. It's like, don't follow this example. T'Challa, however, is going to give you an example. He's, he's realizing that even his own people have made mistakes. And right. the, the, one of the problems I have is I hate it when a movie has to try to spell out their meaning. And one of the extra scenes in the credits He's going before uh, part of the UN, and he has to spell it out for us. And he uses some platitudes we've heard before that, and in time of uh, times like this, this is where wise men build bridges, do not burn them. And there are more that unites us than divide us. We've heard this a bazillion times before, and it was a nice speech. But I, I, I hate it when a movie has to take that thing to, to hey, just in case you didn't understand some of the things, we want you to get it. Let me just go ahead and preach it to you. I hate when a movie does that. That's that's a big problem I have in, a, in a, an extra scene. I didn't. I liked what he said, but I didn't feel like it needed to be said. I think we got it. We could see that there's more that we should be together on, and we should not be overcome by any any bitterness or whatever for any past mistakes. It's this is not the the 1960s anymore. This is not the 1840s. A lot of stuff has changed in the world. We got to let go of any bitterness or resentments that somebody has taught us, because a lot of it, it, you know, there's there's still people who teach people hate people on based on the color of their skin or where they're from. That unfortunately still does happen, and we got to show off you know, those people that teach you to hate people for whatever, even if it's your parents that taught you that. We throw it off and realize there is no reason to hate somebody just because they look different from you. You know, we're all God's people. We were all created by the mm-hmm. same God. Now, if you don't believe that there's a God that created us, that's a whole other different issue, but we still love you anyway. But, you know, but that's, uh, so you know, I like that all, theme. We're, oh, yeah. We're all in his image. Yes, exactly. And we just all, God is very creative and he's an artist and he painted us all in different colors because he loves the way we look together. Oh, so yes. Oh, that's, yes. That's, I'm almost half quoting an old DC talk song for anyone who knows. <laughs> we call it people and we live in a thing. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> well, well, yeah, how, how about the supporting cast? Oh, yes. Around, the uh, women of Wakanda. Life. Yes. I loved them all. Um, and his, I've got to say, his sister was cute. i got to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was cute. She's feisty. She's feisty. She yes. has a temper. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, because of her actions, you know, we might take might not let our youngest one see it until uh, we can fully uh, uh, make sure uh, we can block out certain uh, hand gestures. Yeah, that happened pretty early on. Uh, yeah. It was kind of funny, but it was like, well, that's that, but that's a sibling thing. You, you know, yeah. it, it made, yeah. so it made it, it funny. But yeah, so there wasn't a whole lot of language overall in the film. I appreciated yeah. that. 
but they're they, you know they still do some stuff. But this really, I showcase. I mean, we had some great. I mean, golly, I, Lupita Nyong. I, I I don't know how to say Lupita Nyong'o. Yes, uh, she's already great anyway. And isn't she also in Star Wars? Yeah, she is yes. uh, Maz Kanata. Yes, what I was thinking. Yeah, and then Angela Bassett as his mother. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess this actress playing his sister, as everybody's starting to recognize her, she's got something, I guess, on Netflix or something right now. Uh, but so, oh, great actresses. I don't even know who the actress was who played the general, but she was awesome. Oh, uh, Danai uh, Guerrero. Now, this is what I'm going to mess up. Yeah. Danai uh, Guerrero. Oh, but such they, they got some great women in this. And the one thing it, it was kind of inter- interesting about the film is it a lot of times it felt more like an ensemble thing. It, did, it was sure the movie was called Black Panther, but it wasn't really necessarily about T'Challa. It was almost more about Wakanda. And he's got he's got, of course, a story arc and a growth area. But we got so many other characters and the, and the strength of the women that help him that are part of his team that it, it really felt like a team movie. Oh, my goodness. I just realized what, what I know her from, and I didn't even put two and two together. Who, the general? She's, uh, yeah, she's Michonne on uh, on uh, The Walking Dead. Oh, well, I never watched The Walking Dead, so. <laughs> so Why I, didn't I, I put that together? I, I wouldn't oh, have goodness. never known. But hmm. that actually does lead, lead to one of my criticisms. This might be a mild spoiler, but if you've seen the trailers, you know there's a car chase. Now, during this car chase... We have the bad guys are shooting at a car that has both uh, uh, the girlfriend, Carrie, the love interest, which she was cool too, and this general girl uh, in the car. And of course, uh, they've got vibranium in the car. So it's ding, 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 not a problem. But here's where it bothered me. The general climbs out the side window and gets on the roof of the car. Now, if I'm the bad guy and I'm shooting in the car, okay, well, shooting the car is not doing any good. Suddenly, one of the people get out of the car. What am I going to do first? Shoot her. She's not bulletproof. She's in a dress. Why in the world did nobody just? Uh, and the, uh, when they do the how it should have ended, I expect them to see this animated. Like, oh look, she got out of the car. She's a bulletproof car. She got out, and it was really cool what she did. She went and used that probably vibranium spear to jump over the other car and like stop it and wreck it. But you know, as soon as she gets out of the car, oh look, a target. Bang! She's done with. That bothered me. I gotta say. Well. Maybe maybe she had one of those invisible shields. Sure. That the, that the tribe had at the end of the movie. Yeah, but we didn't see her pull out <laughs> that shield or anything. Or even, no one even took a shot at her that we saw. I mean, are these the dumbest bad guys in the world? I thought this was supposed to be an international ring of vibranium thieves or whatever, headed by Ulysses Claw. Which, oh my gosh, Andy Serkis is awesome in everything he does. Can I just well, say yeah, that? Be- well, between Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman, they were the two Tolkien white right. guys in the movie. Yes. And Michael B. Jordan was awesome, like he was in Creed. I loved him in Creed. He was even better as Killmonger. You know, and, and you know, if I would have seen a character named Killmonger before seeing this movie come up, I would have thought, that is a horrible name for a character. <laughs> but it, the the way that they set up his character in this, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it fit completely, and you can sympathize with him. You can mm-hmm. you can understand him, but you also be like, man, you got you got to let go of this anger and this hate that you have yeah. because it's leading you down a dark path, and you're going to do some really really bad things there. You're going to become Hitler. He's <laughs> like, we're going to conquer the world and make them do things our way. You know, it's this thing, and oh my goodness, 
And it was scary how some of the characters, like one character, I don't want to spe- specify how quickly he changed sides. We thought this was yeah. with T'Challa's friends and how quickly he just full on joins up with Killmonger and like never even thinks of coming back. Well, there, that, there, that there really are two. There's two characters who kind of subvert our expectations in this movie. The other being, uh, I think it was Obu. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get into <laughs> spoiler territory. Yeah, true. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's really amazing. Uh, again, overall, I, this was a very well-made movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely going to be part of my collection, not just because it's a Marvel movie, uh, but it's a movie that I really thoroughly enjoyed and really liked. Uh, again, I think there are better Marvel movies out there. Right. But but you know for for. What this movie is, what it represents, it's a great message, it's a great story, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing Black Panther again. Yeah, and some sequels. I'd love to see where this goes, and I want to see what Definitely. happens in Avengers Infinity War when you have a battle in Wakanda coming up. So, yeah, it was a very great movie, but overall, in the end, it wasn't this big 100% epic that, that they treated it. It's it's just another Marvel movie, and it's a very good Marvel movie in a collection of pretty good Marvel movies. Yeah, and yeah. then there's Spider-Man: Marvel. Homecoming, which is a good movie, but not a good Marvel movie. But that's a whole other—that's my own issues. <laughs> but I have another question for you. Yes. The last time we saw Steve Rogers, he was hiding out in Wakanda. Yes. Where was he in this? No mention of him. We don't even see him in the background. There's some stuff that happens in Wakanda. You'd think that they would say, uh, "Mr. Captain Rogers, come help." You know, something just well, acknowledge yeah. that he was there. Oh, how, how many of these uh, sequels have we really seen any of the other heroes team up? I think all we've seen is just uh, Thor, uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, and it's okay if they didn't want to have him team up with any other Marvel characters, but there should have been some mention of where he was at. If he's no longer in Wakanda, tell us. But there is a scene at the end where we see somebody else that we I expected was in Wakanda. And we do see somebody. I'm not going to say anymore. But stay till the end, very end of the movie, like any Marvel movie. And so if he's here, there, where's Steve? Uh, let's just say you'll be rewarded for your patience. Yeah. Infinity War, I hope we're going to get an explanation. But, you know, even from the trailers in Infinity War, we kind of seem to get the implication that he must be around Wakanda. Although, why does somebody need to give him his shield? Because Wakanda could have made him another one. But I don't know. Let's not dig into well, too would, much. Well, well if, if he were there, I'm sure one would have been made for him. Yeah. So, so where is he? And we might find out he's in Sokovia trying to help rebuild. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, you know, and hey, we've only got a couple months to wait until uh, Infinity War comes out. So we'll learn soon enough. Infinity War followed quickly by Solo. But even until then, we've got a wrinkle in time coming up really soon. And Ready Player One even sooner. <laughs> I don't know if there's any movies to look forward to in April, but oh, my goodness. Oh, my little geeky movie heart is, is just so happy. <laughs> But let's go back to talking about Planet Comic Con a little bit. Yes, uh, yes. I want to share some audio. Uh, this is okay. So if you're around our age, and you know we're really kind of making this show, hopefully for people that are eternally young but yet are close to our age and their children. But Hacksaw Jim Duggan was one of my favorite wrestlers back in the '80s. Uh, it was him and Hulk Hogan. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan would come out. He had a two by four, and he'd put an American flag in his two by four, and he go, "Oh!" Like like a thundercat, race it up over his head. Yes, and it was that good old fashioned American brawler type of thing that made you feel good, proud to be an American kind of guy. And he was just good, had such charm and charisma, and he was funny. And 
surprise, surprise, he was at Planet Comic Con, and I got an opportunity to talk to you, and I, you'll hear at the end, I got to give a big ho with him, and it's, I'm going to, this is going to be a new sound clip, I'm putting this on my phone. <laughs> camera with me but but all right neverlanders i am here with the legendary literally wwe hall of famer hacksaw jim duggan and i gotta ask so where did the whole persona of jim duggan and the 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 patriotism you brought around where did that come from well excuse me brother but the first thing hacksaw has to do is give a big ho kind of fires me up but uh yeah hacksaw is just kind of an extension of my personality you know he's in here with me and it's been my honor to carry our flag all over the world for over 30 years now and it's just it's just something that comes from the heart you know i think that's why it helps my longevity people see it's not an act that it's coming from me and that's helped with my longevity yeah, and it makes you a lot of people's childhood heroes. Well, it's been, say, it's been my honor, Hogan. I tell you. Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of Hulk Hogan myself. He's a good friend of mine. But it's great to be remembered this many years later from my heyday. You know, it's hard to think of a football player or a band from the 80s or 90s. But folks still remember the WWF wrestlers. Yeah, especially the 80s. Because, I don't know, it was, it was better to me when they had those superheroes and those just super villains. Right, yeah. And when they started, you know, and I still like it in the 90s. Yeah, it's, it's still a good show, even nowadays. You know, a lot of folks are critical of the product, but there'll be 100,000 people at WrestleMania. And I always joke with the NFL guys, I'm like, world champions? Where in the world have you boys been? You know, the WWF goes all over the world. Yeah, and it's it's still huge today, and I I do appreciate that they have all these new guys coming in. What worries me sometimes with the new guys is it seems like they have to do more extreme stunts. And when you have, like, Rey Mysterio, who's great to watch, but... You know, the injuries and stuff. I worry about these guys. Well, a lot of guys, there's a trend to uh, kids that fly a lot more. Yeah. Smaller guys that fly. My generation was uh, more bigger guys that brawled. You know, that's the deal. People say, Hacksaw, what's your favorite move? I said, I kick and punch. What are you talking about? I'm a brawler. I'm not a wrestler. Yeah, but it was still fun to watch. Just, oh, you know, yeah. I think that's part of what the appeal was, that brawl just... It, it, we were allowed to believe it completely, totally real, unscripted. Uh-huh. Well, that's a joke. You're always a phony wrestler until you go to court. <laughs> when right. you go to court, you're a trained killer. So it's that, a that's, I think, double-edged the sword. The love of it. It's like the people who were just being the bad guys, they had to be a bad guy out in public, too. Even if they could be the nicest guy backstage. But like, oh, I'm at a grocery store. Somebody's going to come up. i got to be mean. Well, it's always nice to be uh, have folks remember you, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's great, yeah. And now you're a cancer survivor. Uh, lucky enough to survive a cancer. Uh, kidney cancer I was diagnosed with 16 years ago. Wow. and. Early detection and the grace of God saved my life. And probably, you know, working out, taking care of yourself all those years. Well, yeah, hopefully that had something to do with it. But, of course, you know, and I joke, I'm the last of the old-timers with all my original body parts. (laughs) You know, Jake's got a new knee, Teddy's got a new hip, Foley's got a new shoulder. I'm still in the original package. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that there's so many, because we lose so many of the old guys so often, because it's it's a rough sport to get into. You do so much damage to your bodies. Uh So... When we lose them, it just breaks our hearts. So I'm so happy that we have so many that are actually still with us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sharing their stories. We all miss Roddy Piper, God bless him. Oh, that broke my heart. Yeah, it broke everybody's heart. I loved his podcast. Yeah, yeah, Piper's podcast was good. It was was so funny. And I think that's part of what's carried you to where everybody still loves you because you're still funny. Yeah, well, thank you, brother. (laughs) Was that a shot? No, 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 you know, yeah. you've got this great, and even, you know, whilst I've been standing around here, that sense of humor comes out. I think that's part of the charm and the charisma that you've had. Like, charisma carries you pretty far. I think The Rock can really attest to that, too. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate so. it. And nice talking with you, yes. my friend. So Before nice you go, you got to give me a ho, though, brother. Ready? Ho! That's right. Good ho, right, man. Thanks. Oh, my God. That was just awesome. awesome. Good. 
Okay, so this other group, when we mentioned them before, Saturday Morning Inc. And, uh, well, I, we, we already explained it, so let's just go ahead and hear that. All right, so now I'm here with uh, just, it's pretty much a company called Saturday Morning, I guess? Yeah, Saturday Morning Inc. So, the, basically you guys are sellers and collectors of classic animation cells. How in the world do you track this stuff down? Um, we usually get it in lots. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> directly from the uh, animators themselves. The animators for these shows got to actually keep a lot of this stuff. And uh, most of it just went in like storage lockers and basements and garages and stuff like that. And now that they're kind of getting older and their stuff's starting to get out there, um, my parents actually were able to trade um, for these about 10 or 15 years ago. And they kind of, like, again, they sat in storage and we pulled them out and decided to bring them to the show. So when you find these items, how difficult is it to decide, ooh, I got to keep this one myself or, oh, no, no, wait, we got to sell this one. Say, uh, we kind of put everything in the book and kind of just hope certain ones don't sell. <laughs> Say, actually, uh, two or three ones that I was planning on keeping if we didn't sell them ended up selling today. Uh, so what was the biggest one that you sold that you wish you could have kept? It was a really good one of He-Man and Battle Cat, just a really good action pose. So what's the biggest thing that you've now seen that just blew your mind that was like the number one thing, whether it was here or somewhere else? Biggest thing that blew my mind? Yeah, like you found an animation cell and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope this never sells. Oh, what was the biggest thing? Uh, definitely most of the Street Fighter stuff. We have a very limited amount. And the Street Fighter stuff, as soon as I saw it, I pulled every last cell that we could find and put them all in this book. Nothing else coming straight to mind? Uh, we had, um, <laughs> say, we have, the, probably my favorite stuff was we actually had, uh, we found some cells from the Christmas episode of the He-Man and She-Ra special. So the ones with uh, the Skeletor and the dog, those were my, like, my like big like goal find. Because we had a whole bunch of He-Man and She-Ra's before, but then we found the Christmas special one separate. And so that was just like, perfect. What would be your ultimate dream find for an animation cell? Right like, now, my biggest uh, I'm trying I'm trying to find, uh, track down the '94 X-Men uh, cells. Yeah. Yep, that's my biggest one. I'm uh, I'm more into the anime side of it, so mine would probably be the classic anime cartoons like uh, Inuyasha and Dragon Ball Z and original Dragon Ball as well. That's got to be like super hard to find though, from being from Japan. How do you track that? Well, you have to deal with. Uh, You'd have to deal with all of the different, you know, uh, copyright laws in Japan and the copyright laws here in America, and you got to make sure they mesh well before you actually acquire them. So it takes a lot more work, but you can sell them for significantly more because there's less of them. So. Right. Any major Disney finds? No, not yet. That's the big thing we're trying to pack down. Those are hard to find yeah. just because they stopped doing the sell stuff a little bit earlier than everyone else did. Then Barbera. Yeah, Hanna Barbera yeah, is a big thing. Fun. We found we've we've have found one Flintstones one total our entire time doing this. That's it, uh, Hanna Barbera wise. Did you just frame it and say nope, no, no way, no way? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty it's, much. Uh, it's here with us right now, we but we're selling it so much off. more than everything else that it doesn't even go out. <laughs> it's like I dare you to buy it. I dare you. Mm -hmm. yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, so yes, website. Because I did grab your card earlier, but yeah, get a good audible version so the listeners know where to find this. We don't have a website yet, but we do have a Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash Saturday Morning Inc. And people can order from the Facebook page? Uh, or? It's still pretty, and it's, it's still in its early stages. Um, we're in the, uh, as soon as we get home, our big project is to try to get as much up on the Facebook as possible. Like we started this company, uh, we started actually deciding to uh, do the selling stuff about a month ago. 
so we're right now it's pretty limited what's up on there but we're, our goal is to get as much up there and yeah we're, we're totally we're ah, sorry um, we're, we are totally cool with uh, shipping them out and everything like that awesome and now finally finally we're going to go outside Disney for this, this I guess has been an event. This has been going on, and it's about to wrap up. Oh yes, and uh, Eric is showing me on his camera because he reminded me he got assigned uh, by. Did you get all three of them to sign that? I did. I did. So you can never. You can. It's hopefully you got that wrapped because you're touching it. Well, it's a third print, so oh. uh, even with the signatures, it's not going to be that great. <laughs> but Dark Knight Metal, the multiverse of DC has multiple Batmans, and he, one of them is even a Joker. Well, well, it goes even deeper than that. Ooh. It's not just the multiverse. There is a dark side to the multiverse. Um, Metal actually has ties that go all the way back to uh, before the New 52 began. Uh, we're dealing with uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. We're dealing with a uh, demon named Barbatos. That's a fun oh. name. <laughs> well, Bar, B-A-R, Bat, B-A-T, O.S. Barbatos. Barbatos. He's got Bat right in his name. Right. Not to be confused with that other, there's another, like a heroic sort of demon character DC has that I've seen in uh, some cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, He's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, But uh, in in DC, they basically call people with uh, powers metas or metahumans. So you've got M-E-T-A, meta. Uh, You've also got uh, different kinds of metal uh, in the DC universe, specifically ninth metal or nth metal that comes Mm -hmm. from uh, Thanagar that powers the wings of Hawkman and Hawkgirl. And what Scott Snyder, the author, has done is he's taken all of these different elements and transformed them into uh, what leads up to this series of metal. Uh, And it's all about uh, how we discover that there is this dark underside to the multiverse, just like there are 52... Uh, worlds that are part of the same multiverse that Earth Prime is in, there is a flip side to that with 52 dark universe uh, worlds where, yes, you've got a Joker version of the Batman. Uh, You've got a Batman who has fused himself with the Flash, uh, a Batman who is uh, who managed to flood all the earth and convert herself uh, into being able to breathe underwater. Uh, You've got a uh, Batman who uh, was able to take over uh, Cyborg and create multiple copies of Alfred after he died. But the twist is, as you can tell with Joker, is that all of these are evil versions of Batman that have been merged somehow, you know, like merged with uh, Doomsday or Ooh. merged or, or a Batman who was able to get uh, Green Lantern's ring and has, you know, t- and is trying to rule the world out of fear. All of these different Batmans have lost their world and Barbatos has promised that he will bring their worlds back if they destroy Earth Prime Batman, which they are succeeding at. Uh, Not only are they destroying Batman, but they're also taking down Superman as well. Um, In Gotham, a huge mountain has appeared. Challenger Mountain, which was the home base of the Challengers of the Unknown, has shown up. And you've got... um, Nightwing and members of Suicide Squad of the T-Titans that have been trying to infiltrate this mountain. You've got um, Hawkman has died. No one knows where he's gone. And it turns out that he's been corrupted as well. And it's, you know, this series, it's been described by Greg Capullo as being um, a heavy metal rock concert. 
cool. <laughs> just, um, you know, and even from the, the cover of it, uh, I know we're not going to have an image of it, but if you look at the cover or one of the covers of issue number yeah. one, you'll see Google the Justice <laughs> League. Yeah, you'll see the Justice League arranged with Superman up on the right and uh, Wonder Woman on the left. And then below them, you've got the Flash and Cyborg. And uh, then you have um, Green Lantern. And you've also got Batman with his... Uh, shroud or his cape covering his face if you look at it one way it just looks like these figures kind of arranged in an odd arrangement but if you unfocus a little bit you'll notice that they're really throwing out uh heavy metal horns yep big time <laughs> and, and that type of imagery is all throughout this series uh it's basically it's you know, it, it's like a crisis event where everything is going wrong that could possibly go wrong. It just doesn't have the crisis title and it's all surrounding Batman. And uh, it ties into a lot of things that Scott Snyder has been doing with Batman on his run. Um, so it's, uh, you know, very been very interesting to read and see. And they've got one issue left and I'm waiting to see where it goes. Yeah. And before that last issue comes out very soon, uh, we actually got a panel at Planet Comic Con with the creators, uh, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo and Jonathan. What's his last name? Uh, Jonathan Glapion. Yes, they, uh, I, I got the chance to attend this panel, and I recorded the audio. This is really cool. You're going to get some insights into the comic book industry. Uh, I think somebody may have sworn in there. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to have time to edit it out by the time i got to get this out, so be warned. Somebody might have let a minor swear out. No, nobody said anything heavy, thank goodness. Uh, but here it is. This, uh, this hopefully you're going to enjoy. If you're, if you're a comic book fan, you'll enjoy hearing about insights of the industry. If you're not a comic book fan you might be mildly curious and i think you're going to enjoy this either way so here we are straight from planet comic-con greg capullo scott snyder and jonathan ikers glapion glapion i don't know why i was thinking ikers okay <laughs> i'm a bad host bad host to disney and beyond oh! thank you so much for coming out uh, I think this is going to be a very metal-tastic panel, so let's not waste any time. Let's just bring out our panel right now. First up, you know him. He is inker extraordinaire Jonathan Glapion. Right after him, we have pencil extraordinaire Greg Capullo. And lastly, the bat mastermind himself, Scott Snyder. Genesis of this insane event. 
Well, it kind of came to me in pieces where, first of all, let me just say thank you guys so much for being so supportive of the event. Um, you know, it's, it's a new thing for both of us to do something beyond like a monthly, you know, regular series. And the fact that you guys showed up and sold out all the books really means the world. Uh, so we really, really appreciate it. Um, Metal, it's sort of the idea for the story began to come to me when all the way back when we were between Court of Owls and Death of the Family, and that I had an idea for a story where Bruce picked up a mystery from Hawkman, and it would be something that sort of Hawkman had been investigating throughout generations of his different lives, all the way back to the beginning of humanity. And then um, I kind of tabled it as we went on, because we had Death of the Family, and then we were doing uh, Zero Year, and all that stuff. But as we uh, continued on Batman, it kept coming back to me, this idea of what about a big mystery that spans all of kind of human uh, evolution and existence. Yeah, and that essentially has to do with this, this uh, question about, you know, uh, do our hopes and fears, the things we're most afraid of, exist somewhere in the multiverse? Is there sort of a realm where all of the things we hope are not true and hope are true uh, are actually material? Uh, and so it was really around the time we were doing Endgame where it began to materialize for me around the metals, around the idea of what if there's something, the nth metal, that sort of is the pinnacle of this different period, periodic table of supernatural stuff that Batman could follow up the chain. Uh, and then by the time we got to Super Heavy, I really kind of had it, and it was right after we finished our run on Batman that he came over for drinks or whatever in our house. <laughs> me and my wife had him and Jamie, his wife, over uh, that summer, and I remember being like, I had this whole pitch in my head, this like whole PowerPoint presentation about like what metal was going to be, and I remember just being like, so it's this big story, and it's going to be called metal, and he was like, good, well, we're good, thing, well, it's called metal, we're good. Well, one of the things you had said to me, because I had gone off and done a newborn Mark Miller, I don't know if any of you picked it up, I hope you did. That was a great book, it was a great book. And, uh, and Scott goes, you know, I was trying to think of something that would be, you know, you know, you come back and, you know, what people think of you, and he goes, you're kind of like a heavy metal penciler of comics, and so, you know, I thought this thing metal, and as soon as he said metal, I said, I'm in, you know, and then he told me this cool story, which you've been reading, and, uh, yeah, and you can see why I jumped in, so, yeah. So, Greg, let's, let's talk to you. What did you contribute to this madness, or were you basically like, I just want to draw Batman with an axe? No, you know, uh, what I contribute, obviously, is the visual aspect. I mean, it comes, uh, comes up with the storyline, but it's up to me to, you know, visualize that and bring it to life. So, uh, I mean, I got to create all the cool Batman, you know, all the seven evil Batman, Barbados, and all that good stuff, you know, and, uh, I mean, that's the part that, you know, why an artist gets into comics anyway, you know, from when we're little kids, because you just want to draw cool stuff, right? So. It's one of those cool things where you just go, you get to create, and then, and listen, it's just been the most edgy, crazy, over-the-top, bombastic, you know, warrior, dragon kind of, come, you know, I mean, we got Joker dragons, for crying out loud, I mean, you know, uh, so, it, to me, it was contributing all those visuals, developing how they would look, how they come together, how they both, both interact and, and uh, with each other, and uh, I hope you all liked what I came up with. Please, Please clap. <laughs> <laughs> There's my commentary on blood politics right there. Please clap. <laughs> now, Jonathan, talk a little bit about what it's like to work with Greg over here. Oh, it's uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want me to get all sappy now? <laughs> By the way, it's Jonathan's birthday today. That's right. Hey. Ha <laughs> ha
Happy birthday, sir. Thank you very much. Um, for me, Grant was my favorite artist. I, I never thought I'd have a chance to work with Grant. So that was in a galaxy far, far away. So doing what I'm doing now, working with him, is it's really an honor. Not to sound too sappy or cheesy or whatever, but it, it really is an honor to, to learn from him. Um, I'm not here to dominate his work. I'm the last line you guys see. So if I want to make him look <laughs> a certain way, uh, you know, I, I guess I could do that and, and be looking for another job the next time. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, do you ever get any of those great pages? Because Greg is a very detailed, frenetic, like his energy explodes off the page. Do you ever look at any of those panels like, oh, God dang it, Greg. I want an easy day today. Well, the Swamp Thing page. And then the, the conversation about possibly, you know, and I was like, well, to be fair, I curse my own self plenty of times. Yeah, why do I do this to myself? You know, I can't really complain to Greg because he suffers before I do. So I guess we, we just kind of got a bitch about Scott. <laughs> Which we actually do do. But let me just say, like, I remember that's a lot of love. The, the definitive example to me was like when Zero Year was going, and I realized how horrible he was the schedule part, was. Uh, well, but but let me But this is, it gives a good example still. Uh -huh. At one point, I was like, how do I make it easy? How do I how do I help? Because it was you know we were running hot schedule wise, and I was like. This whole sequence takes place in like a dark elevator shaft. And I kept emphasizing, I'm like, it's super dark. There's no lights. So like, you know, it's just, there's just outlines and whatever. And he drew every rivet in like the beams of the elevator shaft. You gotta sell the first shot. <laughs> I'm waiting for the issue with dark. No. Right. No. I try yeah. that. I always try. I'm like, it's all snowy. There's nothing. And then you know, it's always like there's buildings beneath the snow. The thing about this team is, you know, you've got to have uh, trust, you know, to make really outstanding comics. Because uh, one of the things that some uh, comic creators try and do is run the whole show, and that usually starts from the writer, and uh, who thinks, you know, he can do everything. Really, the frustrated artists who want to be the artist and. So they want to dictate everything that's done. And those are never the best comics, right? Because uh, everybody has different skill sets, right? And so when you work together, you want to you know, uh, make full utilization of that. You want to capitalize on those skill sets. So you work with people who trust, who, or who can bring it, right? So when Scott does his part, which is always you know, stellar, uh, he just gets out of my way and lets me do my thing. You know, He doesn't go, hey, you know, I thought this or that. If I come in with something different, he, he rolls with it because, you know, he might go, ah, oh, that's better than I thought of it or whatever, it worked out better. And the uh, same goes as I pass it down the line because, you know, the thing about uh, inking, and I mean, some people for this speak, oh, it's just tracing over whatever the pencil does, that's not true. Uh, otherwise, that means I could pick any inker out of, out of the ocean of inkers. Uh, there's, they all have a skill set, but like with most things, either there's that certain spark that separates them from all these other guys, right, or girls, uh, and you you know in music too, right? It's like you know I'm a guitar player, so you know, I'll use that as another example. There's a million great guitar players who could just play a million miles an hour and just know all their skills and all that blow blow it all out. Uh, but how many guitar players you go? Oh, you know I know that's Van Halen, or oh you know that's Randy Rhodes, or oh that's you know, you know Sinister Gates, or you know whatever. And uh, it's the same thing with inking, right? So there's only a handful of guys that I would want to work with, and that's one of these guys. He's got style, panache, he's always reaching, looking for new ways to do things, different textures to add to the art. And so uh, I, I don't tell him, hey, you know, I think you should do this, I get out of his way. 
And the same goes down to our colors of CO. I, I don't say, hey, you know, I think you should color it this way or that. I, I work with you and I chose you because I like what you do. So I get out of the way and let him do what he does. So we've got a team that really respects each other and we stay out of the way. And uh, once we hand it down, unless we see something that's outstandingly not right, you know, uh, we don't comment. We just let it come together and you see the end product of our trust and our admiration for each other. Jonathan, please add that to your resume, Greg Capullo approved. <laughs> uh, Scott, in this story, you've thrown out a lot of crazy ideas. We talked about Joker dragons, um, there is a giant Hawkman. Um, one of my favorite you Hawkman, baby. Yeah. One of my favorite ideas you brought in was the Dark Superman. So I want to ask, where, where are some of these ideas? Because it does seem like lots of drugs and alcohol. <laughs> well, it, it seems like this event is touching a lot of areas of DC continuity. And I just want to ask, like, do you have a giant bulletin board written up of ideas, and you're just like throwing darts, or like, what, like, where, where, where are all the ideas for these touches of DC continuity coming from? Well, you know, when I was working on Batman, I always felt like. Grant was on the kind of crazy level book stuff where uh, I was very happy to be extremely grounded and, and very sort of provincial about like this stuff is real science even though it was like portobellos like you can come back from the dead or whatever. It was always detective stuff or, or grounded. And then what happened was when, when I sort of came up with the idea for Metal and Greg went and did uh, Reborn and I was kind of doing my homework over that year, I really fell back in love with the books I had read as a kid that were the biggest events, like Infinity Gauntlet, right? Yeah. Right. Or, or uh, Cosmic Odyssey and that stuff. And this sense of lunacy that comes with comic book storytelling, the kind of joy of the ridiculousness of it while still keeping it really emotional. So for me, what happened was I realized that what I wanted Metal to be was a personal story. And I mean, you know, I, I never sold it this way, so, you know, whatever, because I, I, it's the worst pitch ever for like, this is what this is about. But um, I always went out there and was like, it's the craziest evil Batman story ever, because you know, I could P.T. Barnum my own stuff. <laughs> but what it's about is those moments in my life as a kid when I was my older son's age and stuff where you, you kind of venture out of your comfort zone, as Batman does in the story, by exploring a mystery that's kind of outside of his jurisdiction. And suddenly you find yourself in a place where all you see is doom and the, the worst versions of yourself. And you see that you think you're a failure. Everything you've done in your life leads to nothing. And you find yourself in a very black place where all your worst fears have become material and feel true and feel real. Um, and the way you get through that is by talking to friends and finding people that you can trust. But the other way that you can tell, once you're back from that dark place, the fun is then saying, you know what, I'm going to reach even farther next time and go for the even more uh, ridiculous, lunatic goal that, you know, I didn't think I could reach. And it's that kind of take a step, fall back, you know, be terrified, take two steps. And so for me, as a kid, comics, the lunacy of it, the sense of grandeur and bombast and epic scope of the story. Wait, wait, describe it. The bombastness of those 80s cosmic comics are insane. Yeah. And, and What's that, happening? But I, I, what I, I didn't realize at that time was they were speaking to things that I needed in my life. About I felt like I was escaping the things that were, you know, uh, upsetting me about, you know, being, you know, nerd or this or that or whatever. And then at the same time, they were actually speaking to those things. I just didn't realize it. 
And so metal is deeply about that. Metal is about saying, you know, uh, you might find yourself in a moment in your life where all you see are the worst versions of yourself. You have to rely on people to get out of that. But once you do, don't lose sight of the fact that next time reach even farther towards an even crazier goal. And so that's why bringing in all of these characters like the best, like Starro and, you know, Onomar Sin. Starro! And, right? And, uh, you know, all of this kind of complete ridiculousness and the, the sort of Starman, Black Hawk Island crazy, to me felt right because it was about celebrating the ludicrousness of comic book storytelling where you say, this stuff is so silly, right? But we all love it. And why do we love it? We love it because it keeps us reaching farther than we thought we would be able to sort of um, dream. So I, I, I don't know. That's my long-winded answer to a very simple question. Especially for him. Yeah. I only bring it for him. That's it. I'm just going to be like... <laughs> now, Greg, um, you made some amazing designs with the Dark Batman. I wanted to ask, is there one of them that you're really proud about the design, or is there one of them that's very difficult to draw over and over and over again? Well, I, I guess the, the, the biggest pain in the ass would be the Green Lantern version, but uh, I, I haven't had to draw him very much, um, so it's kind of a non-issue, but he's probably the most intricate, but no, I, I, li I like them all. Um, you know, uh, the one I've kind of found out probably a lot of you are, is the Batman last one, right? Because everybody loves the Joker, and that's kind of like Batman Joker. And it's just, and he's like a Cenobite kind of, so, um, yeah, I, I think he's probably my favorite. But um, I also like big characters, so the Doomsday one's kind of fun when I get to have him throwing down with Superman. Uh, that's good. But, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, man, when you create this stuff, I mean, obviously it came out of me, so something that I liked, you know, came onto that design. So it's not really going to be too much of a displeasure, you know, as you said, the intricacy. That's the only drag, but I love them all equally. They're all my children. Now, Jonathan, this book covers everything. We have horror scenes, there are small, personal, intimate scenes, and then there's giant stuff of jumping through the cosmic multiverse. When you're, when you're inking Greg's pencils, how do you, you're swearing. Yeah, how much are you swearing? But how much do you find your style changes depending on the tone of the scene? I don't know if my style changes, but I try to, I, when I meet Greg or anybody, I try to, I want you to see Greg, first of all. Um, so I, I'm not trying to trip over myself and, and show off and, you know, do my thing. I, I, I put a little bit of me in there, but I, I, I respect his pencil, so I want you to see what he's doing. Um, I want you to see the energy in his pencil. So as far as, uh, you know, I don't know, the question, the transition, it's just a matter of an eight hour day to a 16 hour day. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's my transition, you know. Um, yeah, but you I'm trying to like, because it has a different flavor, does it put you in a different mental state or anything? Or, you know, you, it's like, because uh, you know, one thing you're drawing something happy, um, and maybe something dire. Yeah, yeah, yeah those things were wrong. Does that influence? Certain, certain things need to be cleaner. Um, obviously, like the, the swamp thing, and, and you know, like, any fight scenes where there's, there's dust or dirt being kicked up, that's, you know, you have fun and you, you splatter the page and you, you loosen up a little bit, but then there's, there's calmer things where you, you want the line to be a little cleaner, uh, one of those hairs, you know. Uh, Do you ink digitally or traditionally? Digital. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, as much of the dark multiverses there is, that's like a lot of black, man. Traditional. I, 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 I am traditional. I've, I've done everything. I've done digital. I've done the blue line. I've done, you know, blue line, which is ink over a digital print or a, a printout. Uh, right. The, the, the pencils, for those you don't know thing about it, most of you, I'm sure. Uh, when I pencil page a traditional way, it gets passed off to the anchor, and the anchor pencils over, or inks over my pencils, and then erases uh, the remnants of my pencils, so you never see any of it. Um, the other way is, and Jonathan and I worked that way early on on Batman, with the 52 relaunched, is um, I would take my pencils, and um, blue doesn't reproduce when printed, and so they call it non-repro blue, and so you print that out, and blue line, what I draw, and then he inks over those blue lines, so there's no erasing, the blue line might be seen at the end, but um, it doesn't print, and he inks over that, so there's two originals, there's the original pencil still intact, uh, and there's also an ink version, which is inked over a copy of the pencils, and there's, and there's that way. But you mean you do the pencils and then you reproduce it in blue? And then right. The, the, yeah, the, yeah, Photoshop and just convert those pencils to blue. Oh. Um, you know, you don't technically have to ink over original pencils anymore. It's just the technology allows it to be that way. But there's a, a fussy old man like me. I see the difference in uh, in digital work, and uh, I don't fault any artist. There's probably a few of you out in the art out there in the audience, and your artists. And, you're probably exploring digital tools, and they're just that, they're tools. And, and so I'm not for or against you know, using any new tool. It'd be like going, hey, I'm used to carrier pitches, now they're using this stupid telephone thing. I don't want to you know, mess with that, right? So, <laughs> no, if you find that, cool. But I see a difference. Um, uh, that there's not just, there's this, there's this life that gets lacking for me, to my eye, when you move to the digital world. And Jonathan's one of the best digital anchors I've seen. Uh, who's mimicked uh, real-world inks, but uh, the digital, it gets cold and antiseptic, more like a hospital environment instead of a warm living room environment. And I just, I see that. Yeah. And maybe some people don't see it, but I do, and it's my work, and, and uh, it's our work, and so I think you're gonna get the best product by going old school, traditional, so the old man knows best to an army. I think um, Grant's work, there's a lot of small subtleties to his work. When I, I, I when I was inking uh, Batman uh, Blue Line, and then once I got the original pencils for the first time to ink over that stuff, it was a huge difference for me. It was like night and day. It's like somebody turned the lights on um, because it was even being able to see the underdrawing uh, kind of his thought process of what needed to be there, which is what he was thinking about. Uh, was a big deal. But the, the for me the biggest part is I think there's a respect in handing an inker his work. A lot of trust. There's a lot of trust. And, and that's the ultimate compliment. That kill you. So that, that's why. Why should I kill you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you still make mistakes with this white out. <laughs> well, you think, you think about that. Like, if you spend all this time drawing a page and then you give it to someone and their job is to erase it and redraw it. And, they, and I mean, it's never going to leave his hand. But uh, yeah, but the yeah. thing is, like, I will say this, like, not to spoil anything, but in issue six of Metal, which is the Oh, wait until you see it. We, we killed ourselves for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 33 pages of these guys, and then... 32. And, yeah, 32. 33. It's like 39 lashes. It's just like 39 lashes. 40 lashes would have killed us, so we only went 
to 39. So it's like 32 pages of them, and then a coda, and all this, it's huge. And DC was kind enough to keep it at 499 for you guys when it's in the 5 to 699 price point. Um, but that said, like, there's a scene in it where the Batman who laughs is fighting Batman um, himself. Oh, wait, you didn't say it. Yeah, Don't spoil it. I won't. I won't spoil what happens because it's crazy. It's but, a terrible spoiler. <laughs> Yeah, it's looking at the clock, like how quickly can I spoil it? But the the, 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 the there's a moment when Batman sort of realizes the situation that you just did this page like the other day. It's all and blurred. It's the no, it's the it's the profile. Oh. And there's like a broad way of inking the beginning where it's kinetic, and then that has so many intricate, tiny lines in his face as he's looking. And that's the kind of stuff, yeah, well that's the kind of stuff that you realize, like, how you do do it, what Jason was saying, where it's, you know, you're bringing out the emotion that Greg is implying in the pencils, and then doing it in your own way where it's, it's so additive, and then FCO comes in and, yeah. and, and adds this incredible emotion. Oh, wait till you see FCO's so. colors on this issue six. Oh my god. FCO's kind of a big deal to me because without FCO, for me, I feel like, any other colors that sometimes can color something dark, and you don't see all that rendering. Yeah, right. FCL allows right. the, the art to breathe and still gives yeah. you the vibrance, the color, the, the mood, everything. I love it. <laughs> he lives in Mexico. He never talks to me. I don't Ever. think he's a real person. I know. Talks I, know. To me. I feel like he's actually you or something. No, no, no. no. <laughs> My nickname for FCL Valencia is Killer because everything that he does is just so killer, and he comes up with visions that I would have never imagined. And so that's it. That's I call him the killer. And, he, and every time I visit Mexico City, he brings me some new, very expensive bottle. Well, expensive in America, you know, bottle of tequila. So he'll give me like, here, I got this for you. It's supposed to be very, very, very good. And I try and it's great. I'm going, well, I got to get some more of this. I'm back here in the states, and it's going four hundred dollars a bottle. Holy smokes! And I know he doesn't pay that well. Back here for him, but it's Mexico. But he's, he's amazing. It's just me. Like, yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the things I want to ask the panel is, and I read this in an interview, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, I've heard, Greg, you draw somebody doing the metal sign in every issue? Or is it every scene, no, yeah. or every issue? Yeah, every single issue of metal, if you go through, you know, uh, I've got somebody, and some character somewhere, probably more than once, a few times per issue, throwing out the metal horns. Yeah, I just figured it'd be a fun kind of find me look for me, find me, you know, where's George kind of deal. So, uh, is that where's George? What where's is Waldo? Where's Waldo? Waldo? <laughs> I'm thinking of the monkey, you know. I, I just assumed you had a friend named George. That's curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curious George. Yeah. Listen, um, my belly is full of barbecue, and then somebody gave me uh, some moonshine, so I'm going to be barbecue and moonshine. Uh, so, I'm doing pretty good, I think. Yeah, once a month. Yeah. Now, speaking of Easter eggs, Scott, um, now, you guys can lie behind these microphones right here. We'll get to some of your fan questions for the metal panel if you want. Um, but, Scott, I want to ask you, is there an Easter egg or some detail, I'm not asking for any spoilers, that people really haven't picked up on that you're kind of surprised by, something that you've put in there? No, I mean, well, I think, I mean, I'm more amazed at how many, like, how many theories they've come up with about sort of who the person is that the Batman who laughs has been. Oh, a prisoner, yeah. Yeah, like, and, and, you know, what happened to Alfred in his mythology, or, you know, what's going to happen to Hawkman, and what the series are spinning out, so I get that all day long on Twitter, so I'm, I'm really... <laughs> 
it's very heartening and very exciting to see um, how many fan theories there are about stuff. So, no, I mean, I can't, I can't think of anything that we really laced in there that I'd be like, they didn't get that. I'm more worried about the opposite, where I'm like, oh god, did I telegraph that? Or they figured it out too early. Well, there, and Twitter figured it out? Yeah, there were a couple things. Okay. There, yeah, but I was going to say, I just <laughs> block and mute them. Oh. <laughs> destroy them. No, I never blocked anybody. But the, um, no, it really has. It's been, it's been an incredible experience all around, where I feel like, you know, you do an event, and at the beginning I was really scared, where I would post things that were like, event comics suck, like to try and be like, hey, I know what you guys think, but this is going to suck, and whatever. You know, and, and try and sort of, I don't know, again, P.T. Barnum medal in a way where it was like, hey, I promise, like, I know what you think of comic events, but we're trying to do something different that's ours and speaks to what we love about comics and the comics we grew up on. And, and uh, what I'll say anything because I just know it's good and then you're going to like it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm neurotic. Like, and I, all I do is, like, worry about this stuff all the time. Believe like, that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I'll show you text messages on my phone from him. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's like gifts, whatever. Frank right, and Jonathan, what did you guys think about it when you found out the ending of metal? Like, were you surprised, excited? Or you found out what? The, the, the ending of metal. Yeah. Oh, it's just total fun. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, the way, you know, okay, listen, you're getting all the inside, you know, news on how we work things. Anchor gets a third of the work produced by the penciler, okay? And so, you know, usually there's a lot of complaints, you know, oh, I wish I had that page, a lot of that page, you know, no, 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 fair. And so, I've come up with, and it started when I was working with Todd, you know, Todd McFarlane? Woo! Yeah. A couple of you still like him, I guess. Anyway, uh, yeah. we, we started, you know, being it's a third, we'd go, you, you could get, every, the anchor will get every third issue, okay, entire third issue. That way, no one knows what they're going to get, and and they get all the pages. So you can't you can't make mm, you can't you can't make the complaint that oh you know you took all the best pages and you gave me the crappy ones. So Jonathan and I go okay. So we've been working that way, and in metal six, uh, you know, in the beginning, I go okay. Well, oh, you want the first one, or you want to start with the second one? How do you want? He goes okay. You know, you know, I'll take that one. And, and so he ends up with issue six. <laughs> so many goddamn pages. They're so awesome. <laughs> Telling you anything is like, think of the 
your favorite concert you've ever gone to or ever want to go to, and it's encore after encore after encore. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's what we want. That's issue six of metal. It was very hard to like also hold back on that stuff. So, because I, I always, my our, we have a great editor on the book, Tay Taylor. She's been with me for many years. She was actually my student like 10 years ago, and now she's my teacher. Um, but she has to hold me back from an issue four and five being like, I'm going to put that in early. No, 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 save it for she six, save it, save it, save it. So, you know, there's like Batman riding Joker dragons and crazy, crazy. Oh, just the cover, when I got that cover. Oh, yeah. The cover. And then that's just the beginning of that scene. <laughs> he, he mentioned the editor, so I'll give you a funny, another behind the scenes story, right? Okay, so Jonathan and I, we put some long hours in, like, uh, especially for, you know, wrapping this metal up. Uh, we had to get a few days extension on the deadline because it's so labor intensive what we're doing here. And, uh, and so, you know, when I say labor intensive, I'm, I work seven days a week and, uh, you know, sometimes 16 or plus hours per day. That's a lot of time you see that tail drawing pictures. He sends me pictures of his ankles at the end. Yeah, they're balloons because I'm sitting there. I go, I'm killing myself here. And then I pass the pain on to him and he's getting no sleep, ink in the page. And our editor, sweet little Tay, goes, we got this. And I understand you're motivating, you're I mean, motivating, yeah, but there's no we. Yeah. <laughs> there's we, but there's no we. <laughs> you're enjoying your weekend and getting some sleep or whatever, and we're murdering ourselves, but we got this. Yeah, no, no, we got this. You're just in my hoping we get this. Okay, so you love everybody up until like 11 o'clock at night, and then when it's like, Later, and everybody starts to go to sleep. I'm starting to hate everybody. You're <laughs> very bitter. But, uh, I send good whiskey and tequila to you. Yeah, that's true. Order. He liquors me up to <laughs> keep me happy. That's, that's his ploy, right? And he always, he always makes the promise to, I owe you this liquor. You know, I owe you this. Uh, you know, it's top shelf stuff. The kid doesn't skip. Gives me the good stuff. I get the blue label scotch and everything else. He doesn't, he doesn't fool around. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Don Julio Real. He doesn't fool around, you know. Keeps me happy. Now, real quick, real quick, Scott, I have to ask: Can we get a small tease of something we're going to see in issue six? Yeah. Uh, which All of my pages. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, bank account. There you go. No. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments is Plastic Man finally gets his day. And nice. So that's a good one. He drew him so he has like one finger is like a shark, like a crazy <laughs> shark with a buzz saw or something. It's, it's my, one of my favorite scenes uh, is I have Green Lantern. Oh yeah, the drill. Form of, no, not that one. Oh, the drill. A, a, a huge power drill. <laughs> you know, fighting, and then later on, uh, the person he uses it on then forms its own drill and it starts approaching him with the drill. So, I don't know if anybody will go, hey, that was a drill back then, and now there's a drill for it, and then, but the big power drill going, Wah! I, I go, nobody else thinks ever use a power drill with Green Lantern, so that'll be fun. All right, nice, let's go to the question right here. Um, pardon me, this has already been answered. My memory's really bad. But, so is ours, we work too much. But um, uh, how, does, how does the Batman who laughs see? Does he smell? That's a good um, question. Uh, how do you think? Because <laughs> it's, it's creepier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go over here. Okay. Scott, um, in a lot of different comic books across DC and Marvel, fancy metals are important. So you have Nth Metal, you have Manium, Vibranium, 
Batmanium, whatever that is. Um, what is it about fancy metals or fancy elements, literal elements, that are so important in comics and especially in superhero comics? Well, I think, you know, for me, I always love stories that you can't quite tell where they jump the rails, you know, so with witches or, you know, American Vampire or with, even with, with Sweet Batman. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. Sweet Batman. Sweet Well, with Batman, too. It's always trying to find the science that feels like the Vanta Black or the thing that's like just beyond what's real so that you then find yourself in a world that's completely fantastic but you don't know where it went off the rails. So metal, for me, like the idea of, you know, uh, the way in which they're discovering transuranic uh, elements all the time with these cyclotrons and, you know, colliders and all of that, it's fascinating. Like you're finding new elements all the time that only exist for a fraction of a moment and then they're gone. So what if there are properties to those elements or metals that are beyond our comprehension? So in that way, it's almost like, the real science almost approaches what we hope for in comic book science, and then you know making that leap into well the comic the the what if there was a transuranic element like you know nth metal that will suddenly be cosmically powerful where you can create anything and armor and you know it makes it real. So I, I love that stuff sincerely. Like it's a thread through all the work I do, and that's my flux. My love, but the, you can find it in everything I do because I, lo I love the idea of sort of finding out things in the real world of, you know, science and what's happening, and then extrapolating it into a place where it makes fantasy believable. Thank you. Let's go over here. I, I'd uh, like to recommend Joe's Barbecue and Jack Stack if you get a chance. Those are both yeah. on the recommend list. Cool. You guys have all given us the best places. My driver from the airport uh, gave me all the names I've received, and, uh, and last night the Uber driver that I had um, he, he recommended cues because um, my, my, my first driver is an older guy and he liked Gates and the reason he said Gates was very because of one of the originals uh, but our Uber driver said that's kind of inconsistent now since he opened a bunch of places up and so his pick was Q39 so but I see there's a lot of rivalry but the one that comes up a lot is the one at the gas station yeah that's Joe's that's Joe's yeah. unanimously people really rave about that one so, would you guys say, by applause, that that is the best? Yeah. yeah. I have a Q39. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so actually Joe's got the bigger round now. All right, cool. Thanks. I said at Joe's in Jason. And the Berg Tits is the one at, at Joe's? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the tits right there, right? Oh, sorry. sorry. The, uh, the Berg Tips. Oh, burn-ins. Oh, I learned in my Shame on you. Did you yes. I, yes. Yeah, so let's get asked about uh, Batman Lost and your kind of theory behind that. Was it his um, kind of the all hope is lost moment? Because that's the first time we've ever really seen Batman lose his will. Yeah, that was exactly the idea, was to try and show something where Bruce has been lost in the dark multiverse for years in his mind. And you finally break him down to be like, I don't want to find the answer anymore. You know, and that was it. So I was very grateful to Josh and James for the work they did, and the art, you know, on that book was phenomenal. I'm really, really um, uh, proud and grateful to the people involved. So, yeah, it was all that. It was exactly like Bruce getting to a point where he would just say, I don't want to be the detective anymore. I don't want any more answers. I just want to retreat. That's what the temptation of kind of the Dark Multiverse of the series is. 
because it's all you know twisted by the fact that there's no brightness in the forge and all that stuff. It's essentially a place where everything you're afraid is real becomes material for you. So all you see are the worst possibilities. Thank you. Let's go to Superman over here. Um, so we've seen hints of what's to come from all from different little subplots within the story. Uh, we know that the within the New Age of Heroes uh, realm is coming in with the, the, the terrifics and different things. Um, there has been a hint of um, Shazam or Captain Marvel and didn't know what we can or can't say or if it, I would just say, like, I mean, we have a ton of stuff coming out of metal that, that, that you know, the what happens in Six winds up spinning story engines into Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, uh, Flash, uh, Aquaman, and then Justice League afterwards, what we're doing. Uh, Shazam and that stuff has more to do with, I think, what Doomsday Clock is doing and what, what Jeff's, okay. uh, Jeff's planning. So he's got great ideas, great stories for that stuff. So I'd say look there for, for some of that Captain Marvel stuff. Okay. All right, thank you. Let's go over here. So my question is actually kind of similar. Um, I loved how big the story is, and I was kind of curious if, was there any elements because of other stories that were coming up or different kind of guidelines that you had to follow that you didn't really explore, or characters you wanted to bring in, or events you wanted to have happen, or was it really just that you could do whatever you wanted to with it? Well, they were really kind. I mean, they were very kind about letting us do whatever we wanted, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't milk you guys for, you know, I mean, Metal is essentially 25, between 25 and 30 issues almost as it stands. Our thing, like the main series, is really six issues. Eight, if you count Lost and Wild Hunt, which kind of are meant to be kind of 3.5 and 5.5. Um, so we were very careful about trying to be as compressed and as economical as possible. So there were a lot of things between the character of the Drowned, the Batman Who Laughs, um, Jon Stewart. There are a lot of characters that had story that we didn't get to. Um, but I feel very good about the fact that we tried to um, keep it as small as possible and financially viable for you guys as possible, as opposed to kind of looking at every possible, everything that we could then make a comic out of and sell to you. So there's things that I, I'm very, I'm definitely am frustrated we left on the table. Um, but that said, in the end of the day, I'm very grateful to DC for staying true to that compass of saying we don't want our fans to feel like they were taken advantage of. So I'd rather it be sort of leaving you wanting and be a little more compressed than something that's overdone. Something for next time? Yeah. Thanks. All right, let's get in one last question right here. Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to first of all thank you guys for giving Hawkman and Hawkgirl something to do. <laughs> um, I, my question was, um, if you guys had a personal favorite issue, either of Metal or Batman, and what is the personal reason why you like it? I'd love to hear the answer for the, yeah, the entire panel for that. Well, I mean, Metal, I'd say Six is my favorite in that it's sort of the culmination of everything that we've built towards, not just story-wise, but as a team. It's the shortest issue I've ever written, and it's the longest. It's like 32 pages, and it's a seven-page script with a page of photo reference of Plastic Man for you. So it's kind of the culmination of our relationship in the most trust. So I'm very, I love that aspect of it. Um, and the issue that I'd say of Batman that is similar to me is five, the one that turns like this, like the maze and the labyrinth. And the reason was because that was the issue that we didn't get along at first, where I was used to working full script, and he was used to working from an outline, and it was like, 
Yeah, right? Well, I was like, I'm, how would I, how would I, you know, limit myself as a writer and whatever, and he was like, you know, I just, just get out of my way, kid. He's like, yeah, well, he was like, he was like, just give me the important words, and I'm like, they're, they're all important! important. <laughs> Which is not true. <laughs> whatever. whatever. <laughs> but, um, five was, it's almost like, I guess what I'd say is metal six is the culmination of that relationship, and five was the beginning where I understood that if I gave him and John and FCO a little room, they would give back something exponentially better than I had ever hoped for. So, those are my two favorites. I'd have to agree with Scott. I, you know, uh, issue five was definitely a, a win for us. You know, um, you expressed the personal level and I remember that we had to kind of argue with the editorial to allow them, to allow us to uh, do what we did. And um, the fans, all of you, you really received it really well, and were vocal about it, and uh, and so you helped me as a bargaining chip. Anytime DC is resistant to me, I whisper in their ears very quietly, I pull them close, and I go, issue five. And they go, okay, you can do what you want. But anyway, so definitely that was uh, one of the ones where we, we pushed for something together that we thought was the right way, and they got out of our way and let us do it, it was successful. And issue six is definitely one of the most fun things that we've done together that just has so much crazy over the top. And I really poured all that I could into the energy and the artwork, and I hope that you enjoy it. And Jonathan is uh, aged quite a bit from uh, <laughs> inking. Uh, all I'm doing is yeah, yeah, five, five and six. Just ink your beard. And then you There you go. And uh, mine is, is quarter about five and six. Right. Five and then six uh, metal. What a team, were you not Do you guys remember, this is a funny little, I don't know if you remember April Fool's joke, where I did the scribble and I said that my daughter ruined one of the pages. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, edit, editorial freaked out, they thought it was real. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what to really do, it's all ruined. Oh, you're so a son of a bitch, you know that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah issue, issue five was, was awesome. I, I used to send pages in, and every now and then I would get an email back saying, uh, can you, you, you send it in upside down? I'm like, it's, that's how it's supposed to be. And then we go back and forth, back and forth. Well, the funniest thing, and I know we're over, but like, was that he made this really impassioned argument to DC with this email where he was like quoting Steve Jobs. Stay foolish! It was really like, it was really inspiring. And I was like, yeah, what he said, what he said. <laughs> and, and, and the editor-in-chief, because that was what I said, Steve Jobs said, stay foolish. And I was saying, you know, I think that you guys suck wind because you always want to play it safe. And I go, you know, don't be a bunch of pussies. I go, you know, and, uh, and I said, uh, and I said, you gotta stay foolish. And, and my uh, editor-in-chief, who was actually the editor uh, uh, that I had when I worked on X-Force at Marvel, wrote back, go for it, I'm as foolish as they come. So, uh, and then we came the change. All right, no, no, please, please, Let, let's hear one last bit of wisdom. No, I, I was going to say... I don't know what we gave you wisdom. I got a lot of BS, but that's all right. No, the greatest part, he wrote this very impassioned, you know, statement. And I remember being like, yeah, yeah, what he said. And then they sent us the, the digital copy of the issue. Oh, man. And it reads vertically because you scroll through it. And I was like, see, you know, whatever. They were so worried that everyone would think it was a misprint, but it looks fine. Whatever. And then the physical issue showed up in our comp, our comps, which are like the complimentary comics we get a week before they come out. And I was reading it and I was like, oh my god, there's a misprint. You have to like 
rotate this thing and read it backwards. And I hadn't seen it yet at all by this point. Yeah, and so I went on Twitter and I was like, oh, I realized that it was actually what we had intended. <laughs> and so I tweeted, I was like, oh, you know, everything in issue five. What idiot did, did this? And then he wrote me, he was so like, then I did it. Then I, you're right. And I go, stop doing that, you know? Get on Twitter, right? Stop doing that. Take that stuff down. And then I get the physical copy. Now, I planned this whole thing out meticulously with the editors. And we went through it. Okay, so this is where the first page turn takes. Yes, yes. And then when we get to this page, this is where the next one takes. Yes, yes. Went through meticulously. And I don't get the physical copies. Now, the thing I didn't ever plug in was once we got to this turn, you're going to have to start flipping the opposite way to read the book in the proper order. And it caught me off guard. And, you know, I get all pissed off. I'm like, I went over this meticulously and they ruined it. And I'm ready to pick up the phone and line out the editor. And then I'll be like, wait, 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 wait. I got an email from him that was like, there's a goddamn misprint. Yeah, and so, <laughs> so then, I, so then I, I go, no, this is how it's supposed to go. This is even better, right? So I told him, I go, take that stuff down. I go, take that stuff down. I go, because of the smart people, We'll get it, and and they'll explain it to the dumber people. Now, obviously, you can see this panel can go on for two hours, but please give a round of applause to our Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash 
Shiron from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 